Hello and welcome to Look for the Helpers, an ICT SOS podcast. My name is Amber Gonzalez, the Education Coordinator for ICT SOS. ICT SOS is an anti-human trafficking organization based in Wichita, Kansas. We provide local survivor resources, adult survivor advocacy, community education, training, and volunteer opportunities. When our favorite neighbor, Fred Rogers, was a boy and would see scary things in the news, his mother would say to him, look for the helpers. You will always see people helping. Today, the helper we are looking to is Kim Gerstenkorn, Program Manager of CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates of Sedgwick County. CASA's mission is to provide caring, trained volunteers to advocate for the abused and neglected children of our community so that each child can reach his or her full potential. As always, don't forget to subscribe to Look for the Helpers and consider signing up to become a monthly sponsor. You can do both of these things on anchor.fm forward slash ICTSOS. Hi, Kim. Hello. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. How are you? Um, I'm doing all right. CASA is doing good um, throughout this crazy time. Um, we're holding up. Things are pretty stable and normal for us. We are in the office um, working like normal, serving children as well as we can. Um, things have been a little bit slow with the core aspect, um, but otherwise things are good. Our advocates are seeing their children and um, just trying to keep things Keep moving forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's great. And how are you doing? Um, I'm doing about the same. <laughs> about the same. You know? Yeah. Just just making it through. Yeah. Um, I really. It, it's been kind of a roller coaster. I feel like when all of this started back in March, it was kind of not exciting, but in a, in a positive way, it was nice to have the time at home and to refocus on, on different things and have some like forced downtime. Um, so that was, that was good. But at this point, um, I, you know, I think we're all just ready to get back to normal. Yeah. And so just trying to find our new normal. Yeah, so. for sure. You said forced downtime. Are you usually yes. like pretty busy? I am. Yeah. Yes. I like to be busy. I um, might be known to overextend a little bit, <laughs> but that's how I operate. Sure. So. Sure. Are you kind of extroverted or are you kind of an introvert? I am actually more of an introvert. Yeah. Yeah. What was so, it like for you during kind of the shutdown, stay at home stuff then? I, I, I do fine. It was fine. Yeah, yeah. It was fine. It was nice to, to be at home and catch up on some reading yeah. and just stuff that I sometimes gets put on the back burner. So yeah. I was okay. Yeah. But. It's funny. Um, I was just talking to, um, on the podcast last time, um, Mary Stoltz from Wasac, Um, and she was saying some of the same things we were mm -hmm. talking about how when you're an introvert, like, or like, so for example, for me, like I just kind of have this baseline general anxiety in my yeah. life. Yeah. And so when the whole world 
felt anxious. I was mm-hmm. like, you guys are kind of on my level now yeah. and I feel kind of okay, Yeah, <laughs> which is crazy. And it probably sounds like a terrible thing to, to say, but I'm hearing that a lot from people mm-hmm. who have anxiety or who are introverted that like staying at home and then everybody's being extra cautious and things like, yeah, it feels good to somebody who has anxiety. It does. <laughs> right yeah. Now. And it, it felt good because you knew you were doing something for others by staying home, yeah. doing your part. So you, you had a good reason. Finally, as an introvert, you don't feel like you're letting other people down for not wanting to be out and about and doing things. Yeah. So true. I love that. Um, Okay. So let's, let's talk about CASA. Um, For our listeners that maybe have never heard about CASA before, and I am still learning a lot about CASA. um, Could you just tell us the rundown of uh, what you guys do? And then maybe however much history. I don't even know how long CASA has been around. So sure. just yeah. tell us about CASA. Um, it's a lot. There's actually quite a bit to CASA. Um, so as you mentioned in the intro, it stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. So we recruit and train community volunteers to advocate for children who are in the child welfare system. So CASA is a national organization. Um, and then there are state organizations. And then each judicial district has a CASA program. Program. So um, we actually have 23 out of the, I think, 32 judicial districts in Kansas. So 23 of them have CASA programs. So um, there are several different programs, um, but we all operate off of the national standards. And so CASA, mentioning the history, it started in actually 1977 there was a judge named david Sokup in seattle who was having a hard time making some decisions for his cases one specifically that's mentioned was a three-year-old who had been through abuse and he was just having a really hard time making a life-changing decision for that child and felt like he needed more information and so that's where the idea for casa came from he um started this reaching out to community members to get to know these situations and help provide additional information to make those decisions. So that's kind of how CASA started. Um, And then here in Sedgwick County, our program was actually the first in Kansas, um, and we started in 1981. So we've been around for a while. When the program started, it was called Roots and Wings, Inc. So some people in the community may recognize that name still or um, see it on things. We've we've really kind of changed our branding to go more with the national CASA program. And so that's why we're now CASA of Sedgwick County. Yeah, that makes sense. Really fascinating. It started with a judge that saw a need and then was able to pull he brought in the community. Right. That's really fascinating. Instead of trying to focus on like a law or a policy or what's mm-hmm. something I can move in, I love that he reached out to the community and found a way that he could pull them in. Yeah, I think it, like we see now, all of the different professionals who are involved in this system are just so overextended that they can't give more than they're already giving. So yeah. I think even back then in 1977, there was that same need and and this judge knew that he needed to have a, you know, do something creative and go yeah. outside of the system. Yeah. So reaching out to the community. 
So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and that's the way that CASA still is. It's very, it's community centered, right? Because your uh-huh. advocates are volunteers. They are. Is that right? Yep. So what is, what is their role? What's that look like? What's the kind of model of, of CASA? Where do they fit? So ACASA is, first of all, they're, they're recruited from the community and we have volunteers of all different backgrounds. Um, we've got a lot of teachers, former foster parents, um, people who work in business, stay-at-home parents, just all kinds of backgrounds. There's no specific requirement for being ACASA. Um, there are some requirements that you have to meet as far as age and um, criminal history. We do tons of screening, of course, because you are working with really sensitive material. So, um, but so once they're recruited, they go through training. It's about 35 hours of training in total. And then from there, the judge asks for ACASA to be appointed on certain cases. And so we have a list of those cases. And then we look at matching our volunteers who have been certified with a case. And then they start serving that case that they're appointed to. So, and that looks like um, they're doing, they're gathering information. So they get the child's history that that they can, all, all of the history that has happened until the point that they're appointed to the case. Um, So they gather all of that information and then they just start getting to know all of the people involved in the child's life and in their case and the child, of course, themselves. So um, they do have to meet with their CASA child at least once a month. Um, A lot of times they will visit them more than that, Um, but just at least once a month. And then they're also going to talk to the child's placement, which could be foster parents, um, a kinship placement, group home, wherever it is that that child is at, they're going to get to know that placement and hear how things are going with the child in that placement. Um, they'll talk to the child's guardian ad litem, which is their court-appointed attorney who kind of serves their best interest in court. Um, they will also talk to the case team with St. Francis Ministries. Every child has a permanency specialist and, and a family support worker. And so they work closely with those people because those are the professionals on the case. And so the CASA will share information with them and ask them questions. And um, and then other people in the child's life, like teachers, um, any service providers, mental health, things like that. Just really anyone who has an impact on the child's life and has information on them that could be helpful for the court. So, so that, um, yeah, it sounds like there's so many moving pieces yeah. for a child that has a case, mm-hmm. right? There's so many different players. Um, so is the goal of a, of a CASA advocate, um, part of it is mentoring mm-hmm. for, for that, that child, but then there's other this other big goal you said to gather up the information to be helpful kind of for the right. case and for the, the child. So explain like what is the goal of, of a CASA advocate? So I, I should say with the information that they're gathering, they are giving that to the court through a court report. So they are required to write reports for every court hearing. So they're collecting all this information and then providing it through this court report to the judge, the attorneys, um, the case team, everyone involved. And so I, I lost my train of thought. No, that's okay. So what was your question again? No, so I'll kind of ask it. Um, I'll ask kind of another question. Okay. So, um, so they're putting together like a court report uh-huh. for the judge. Um, so they have a really unique perspective because they get to talk to 
to the child of the case, they're seeing family, and then they get to also talk with all these other players right. where each of those other groups, you know, St. Francis, um, you know, guardian and litem, mm-hmm. um, you know, other attorneys or medical staff or whoever is involved, you know, they're each going to have their own report and their own little perspective. Right. Um, but they the ACASA seems to be kind of in the center, right? Kind of this wheel of kind of pulling pieces together and then giving their perspective. Yeah. Is that, is that kind of what that look, exactly, looks like? Exactly, yeah. ACASA plays a lot of different roles. So um, they are a facilitator in that aspect. Um, they do bring people together because they are talking to everyone. They have the time to do that because they are only serving one case. And that could be a child or a sibling group, but they only have one case Every once in a while, they'll have two at a time if one of their cases is kind of winding down and they take another one. Um, But whereas a a case team typically has 30-plus cases, the CASA has one. And so they have time to bring people together and maybe point out things that would otherwise fall through the cracks. So um, they are a mentor. Um, They are collectors of information and facilitators and advocates and so many other things. <laughs> they, they do, they play a lot of, a lot of different roles, a lot of different roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is usually the time span like for someone? I mean, I'm sure with cases and courts and things get delayed right. and it can take so long. So what does that typically look like for a volunteer? So let's say they get started on a case, you know, how long will they be with that child or mm-hmm. sibling group? through that process? What's that look like? So we ask for a one to two year commitment, which is really broad. Um, But we, a minimum of one year is what we're looking at. So we do, one of the big things about CASA is that we want the CASA to be a stable adult in the child's life. And so we want them, and in a lot of cases with our CASAs, they are the most stable person in the child's life because with professionals, um, they are coming in and out a lot of times as they move through different positions or um, change careers or whatever it is. So professionals kind of come and go. And then unfortunately, they experience a lot of different placement changes. They change schools. Um, they're all they're different providers will change as well as they move. Yeah, so, their whole world starts exactly. changing. Exactly. So the CASA, we want them to follow that child or children they're appointed to and be the stable person throughout their case. And so we appoint them. Usually the case has been open for a little while before a CASA is appointed because the judge determines um, with all of their cases which ones they want a CASA appointed to. And that takes a little time for them to identify a need. And so by the time we appoint someone, it's usually been open for a few months. Um, We even have some rare cases where they've been open for a year or multiple years and it's a child who in that case needs some kind of mentor and stable figure so it just it, it's so situational um on what that commitment looks like sure because it's just going to depend on how that case goes and how long the child's in the system yeah but we ask them to um, make that commitment and it, at least one to two years. The the average is about fifteen months for a case to okay. close. So, is there any room then for um, for that advocate? Because essentially, they're also a mentor to you know the mm-hmm. the child that this case is a, a revolving around. Right. Is there room that they stay in contact with? 
that child or, you know, they can kind of build that relationship or do any mentoring outside of that after a case is closed or what does that look like? So once the case is closed with the court, that's kind of when the CASA's official duties are severed because the court gives the CASA their, I guess, powers for a lack of better terms. So the judge um, signs an order that gives the CASA the rights to access information on the child and talk to all the different people involved in their case. And so once the case is closed, all of that kind of goes away. But if the CASA has made a good connection with that child and with the family, if it's that they end up with their bio parents or they're adopted or whatever their outcome is, as long as there was a connection established mm-hmm. and everyone feels comfortable maintaining that afterwards, then yeah, yeah. that cause I can continue to be sure. in that child's so life. up to the child and their family. Right. Exactly. After that. Yeah. So we've had situations where, um, a, the family and the child just kind of want to close that book, I mm-hmm. guess, and put all of the everything involving sure. that case in the past and kind of move on with a regular life. Um, but there are also situations, a lot of times, especially with our older kids, that CASAs have served, that they have a real connection with their CASA and they do want to keep them in their lives. Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen CASAs um, be a part of graduations and weddings and all kinds of different things in, in their kids' lives. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That makes total sense. So, um, two episodes ago, we had, um, big brothers, big sisters on, Mm -hmm. um, and we talked about their mentoring program that they have. Um, but they're pretty much strictly mentoring. They don't really get involved in any of the things that ACASA does. Mm -hmm. So what do you think are some of the similarities between like a a mentoring organization like Big Brothers Big Sisters and then um, some of the some of the differences there? Yeah, so um, a common misconception, I guess, with CASA is that a lot of times people think that it is just a mentoring role. Um, and that is a big part of what CASAs do, especially with the older kids, is mentoring. Um, but so I guess the similarities would be that they are seeing the children regularly. They're doing fun activities with them. They will um, take them with our older kids. Classes are allowed to transport. So they'll take them out into the community to do um go get ice cream or food or bowling or whatever the child's interested in. They'll take them and, and do activities with them. And that just kind of helps to create that bond and we don't want CASAs to feel like they're interrogating a child. We don't want a CASA to feel like, or the CASA child to feel like that's what that relationship is. Um, so it, that in that aspect, um, there are similarities to being a mentor because we want to create that relationship. But the CASA has to be upfront with the child and let them know that I am reporting things back to the court. And so back to relationships with older kids, that can be kind of a situation where they have to let the child know that anything they say to them could end up being reported to the court if it is something that sounds like it's dangerous or um, what whatever it could be that, that might be important information. So that's kind of where that is limited, I guess, is that um, there is this other aspect of I have to 
be professional and um, I have responsibilities to the court as well. Sure. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, What does it look like right now during COVID? Um, So for for you guys, but then like for your advocates, um, have they had to meet like virtually? Have they met in person? Have the courts continued? Like what is happening this year? Yeah. So just like everything, there's been a lot of changes. Um, It started out when at the beginning that, you know, everything kind of locked down and things were put on hold completely. So causes were not doing visits for a while in person. Um, Court kind of shut down completely. Everything just kind of came to a halt. So for a few months, that's how it was. Um, Now we are trying to just find the new normal and how we do things during this time. So we do have a lot of advocates who are doing FaceTime visits, um, but we also have people who are back to doing their normal in-person visits as well. Um, They're just taking precautions like wearing masks and distancing. They go do things outside whenever possible. Um, They're not transporting right now because we're concerned about the close space of being in a vehicle. So that's been a little bit of a change. Um, and then just with the core aspect, we're not going to court in person. And so we've been attending all of our hearings um, online through a program called WebEx, so similar to Zoom. So we're just kind of remoting into our court hearings and um Otherwise, I mean, I think that's... Otherwise, it feels pretty normal, probably. Things have been normal. Yeah. We do a lot of... Our classes do a lot of um, communication through email and phone. So um, we've actually... This has been an opportunity to teach people about Zoom and other options as well. So that's been good. Um, Yeah. We've just as a positive that we've kind of learned some new technology and new ways of doing things. Do you feel like that's going to open up any doors for mentoring or advocacy for volunteers in the future? I think it can. Um, One of the big problems that causes experience is when a child is moved Mm. to a location that is far away. So they may be, a lot of times we have kids who are moved out of the county. Um, They may be in Kansas City or just they they get moved to distances sometimes. And so um, this will be a benefit for that for sure, because now they have some new tools to use. To yes. So this could help keep a relationship going yes. between an advocate and a child that otherwise would have been really challenging, I imagine, for exactly an advocate yeah. have to go out and see their kid or try to talk on the phone or. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's good. So there can be something good coming yes. from all of yep. this. I'm curious though, because here at the like the Child Advocacy Center, um, and we you know work with the um, Exploited Missing Child Unit and then the Internet Crimes mm-hmm. Against Children Task Force, um, and the Internet um, Crimes uh, reports have just been going way up and through the mm-hmm. roof. But then a lot of the in-person reports um, for for kids have been going way way down here at the mm-hmm. Child Advocacy Center. Um, is that happening for you guys then? Because so, I mean, there's a lot of crossover there. Yeah, we are experiencing that as well. Um, we work, we are separate from the court. Um, we work in partnership with the court. We have a memorandum of agreement with the 18th Judicial District Court. So, um, but we work closely with them. And so our cases come from the court and their numbers for filings. So children who are coming into care are 
um, down significantly from this time last year. So um, this time last year, it, we had about 585 filings, and currently we have 382. So it's down about 40%. So really significant difference. Yeah. Um, in the very beginning, like back in March or April, I talked to Lori Chandler, who's mm-hmm. the education manager mm-hmm. here at the CAC. And we had this conversation about how, you know, reports were way, way, way down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had some people kind of uh, responding to that saying, oh, like good. Right. right. And that's initially what you would think, like, mm-hmm. okay, if, if reports of child abuse or exploitation are way down, then, then it, is not happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really see that. We think it's happening behind closed doors and maybe there's just not eyes on those kids to be able to report. Right. Would you say that's a similar thing happening with... Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think um, just through conversations with other people in child welfare, that's kind of the general yeah. understanding sure. or feeling on that is that um, we, we would love for those numbers to be down and that does sound like a good thing, but unfortunately, I think a big aspect of that is that people just haven't been in the community and with kids not being at school in person or doing activities and sports and different things that, that yeah, some of that just is being missed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely concerning. Mm-hmm. But hopefully as, um, you know, teachers are becoming, I guess, just, you know, hybrid classes and then kids going back to school. But then um, one of the things that we just keep encouraging teachers is learning how to identify some of those things, you know, through Zoom. What yes. can you see in the background and what can you do that? So hopefully that will change a little bit. Not that we wish that numbers go up because ultimately we want them to go down. Right. right? Yes. But we want to make sure that any kid who is in need is being seen and getting the help that they need. So we have hope that in the future Mm -hmm. that'll change again. Um, Yeah, COVID has changed a lot of things. Um, So I'm curious then about some of the, what would you say, like, do you have any numbers or stories or anything on success of having a CASA in a child's life? What does that look like? I'm sure that's a hard thing to measure. (laughs) It it is. It is a hard thing to measure. And um, I listened to the recording with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and one of the things that they had mentioned was that sometimes their mentors, it's hard for them to see the impact that they're making. And we have that same challenge with our CASAs and their kids because it can be really difficult to see um, as you're working with a child the impact that you're having long-term on their life. So in that aspect, that's kind of impossible to measure, but we do have some statistics. Um, 90% of the children who have a CASA volunteer never re-enter care. So that's great. That's huge. Yeah. Um, Okay, 90% mm -hmm. of kids who have a a CASA volunteer volunteer. will never re-enter the child welfare system. Wow. Yeah. And then... um, the children who have a CASA volunteer spend on average 2.5 less months in care. So that's also... That's huge too. Yeah. And it, it doesn't sound like a lot. 2.5 months doesn't sound like a huge number. But when you apply that to all of the children who have had a CASA and all of the experiences that they could have had during those 2.5 sure. months, it, it's that's pretty big. 10 long yeah. weeks for a kid. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And then another um, big one, and I don't have, we don't have great statistics on this, but just we do know that children who have CASA volunteers have improved educational performance. So higher graduation rates, um, CASAs do a lot in checking in with teachers and seeing how kids are doing and how their progress. And then also they play a big role in um, getting information sent from one school to another when children are moved. So just that consistency piece again, yeah. they can help with that with school. So yeah. those aren't things that I would have thought about when right. you hear the term court appointed special advocate, you think right. it's usually just something in the court, but I can imagine that makes a huge impact yeah, with they're, school. They're really involved in all aspects of their lives. So um, like kids with IEP, they will attend those meetings and advocate for them in those settings. Um, if they see a need for an educational advocate specifically, they can ask for one of those to be appointed. So, yeah. What is that? Um, okay. So kind of thinking back, that number just blew my mind. 90% of kids with CASA mm-hmm. don't reenter child welfare. Um, what does this mean for families also? What do CASAs mean for the families of these kids? So I think the families... What I have heard from a lot of parents is that they really appreciate having a CASA because a CASA is a third party person involved in their case. And so it's not someone who has a stake in either side or any specific point of this case. I mean, they're just looking out for the best interest of the child. And I think parents understand that and they're grateful for that. And so, um, and, and CASAs know that in most circumstances, it is in the best interest for the children to be reunited with their birth families. So, um, that's a lot of what they do is they get to know those families and they see the children go, they will go to visitations between children's and children and parents. Um, so they can see that relationship and they can kind of paint a picture of that too for the court. So that's a big part of what they do. So they can be a support not only for that child, but for the family as a whole. Right. I imagine. Yeah, exactly. And that's really, really huge. Yeah. They will recommend services for, um, the, the family as a whole for parents, for kids, just anything that will benefit the, the whole family. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, gosh, I, on my list of all the things in the world that I want to do, it's, um, be a big brother or be, I want to be a big brother. <laughs> I want to be a big sister. Um, or I would love to be a CASA uh-huh. one day because it just sounds like a really, really great opportunity to impact a kid impact a whole family. It is. It's really huge. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if we have people listening who kind of feel like me, like, um, Oh gosh, that would be really awesome. How could I get involved? What is it like to become a volunteer? I imagine there's kind of a lengthy process and education and training. And so what does that look like A to Z if someone wants to be involved? It is a big process. Um, but we, the staff will, make it easy for anyone who's interested. We really break it down and walk people through the process and with them throughout the process. So um, the first step is to visit our website, costofcedriccounty.org. There's tons of information, um, some testimonials on success stories and reasons why to become a CASA. So people like to 
to check those things out. Um, and then also our volunteer application can be found on our website and filled out pretty easily through there. And so they'll fill out the application, submit that, and that goes to our volunteer coordinator. Her name is Jamie. And so Jamie will reach out to anyone who submits an application. And the first step after the application is a, a pre-service interview, which really sounds um official, I guess. It's really not too bad. It's just a chance for her to meet the applicant and to hear about their background and what brought them to CASA and um, answer any questions that they might have. And then she'll detail what training looks like and kind of the next steps. And so um, from there, we do background testing. There are quite a background checks, not testing. Um, I'm with you. <laughs> Everything's about testing yes, right now. It is. <laughs> um, there are quite a few. It, it is a lengthy background screening process because it, we are dealing with really sensitive, um, confidential information. So um, it's a lengthy screening process, but it, it's really for the applicant just filling out some documents. We do fingerprints in our office. So um, and then we'll we'll send those things off and process them and then they can start training and training is it's about 35 hours total um, but we split that up between five or six weeks depending on what's going on right now we've been doing five weeks online because of the COVID restrictions so we've been meeting online through zoom for our what would be in-person portion of the training um, and then we use an online platform that they will do between the different training sessions where they will go and just do some not homework but you know just the, some videos sure. and um, just extra information through yeah. the online portal so and then part of training is um, we have a volunteer panel so people really like that because they get to meet current volunteers and hear their stories and and how things have gone for them throughout their experience with CASA um, and then we have a professional panel with the court professionals. So we have a judge, a guardian ad litem, parents' attorney, um, someone from St. Francis, kind of all the different parties in the professional aspect that will come into a panel to answer any questions for them as well. And we also do court observation as part of training. So we have to do... Um, a couple hours of court observation. So yeah. right now that just looks like coming and hanging out in the office and, and watching through. And watching it on yeah, WebEx. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but once all of that's done, then they are certified and can we can start the matching process with getting them a case. So. Yeah. So it's very it's a very thorough process, uh -huh. um, but you really educate your volunteers as well. So yeah. um, I imagine... It, walking into something like that or volunteering for that, it could probably feel a little nerve wracking or maybe mm -hmm. even intimidating. Like, oh my gosh, is this something I could do? But it sounds like you train your volunteers really well. They really know what they're walking into yes. and how to handle situations. Yeah. The training's extensive because we don't require child welfare knowledge. So anyone from any background can come be a CASA volunteer sure. and we're going to provide all of the information that they will need to fill that role. Yeah. Um, and then outside of training, they have, we have three staff that are called advocate supervisors. <laughs> and so every volunteer is assigned to an advocate supervisor and that person is just a guide for them throughout their whole experience as a CASA. So they're 
their go-to person for questions or just guidance on the child welfare system because we don't expect anyone to leave training as an expert in all things child welfare in the court system and law. So um, we have someone in our office who will be there to answer questions and help navigate things. And so they're never alone never alone yes. you don't have to be an expert and you're exactly. never alone yep. and you just, can still come in and make a huge difference in a kid's exactly. life exactly yeah we're just looking for people who are willing to be dedicated to their child or children that they're assigned to and who have the heart and passion and want to make a difference in their lives yeah I think it's amazing. Um, I think it's really inspiring. <laughs> it gives me hope that we have this group of people out there who are yeah. giving um, their time and their energy and then their resources to, you know, um, to impact kids mm-hmm. and try to keep them out of the welfare system. And especially let's get them back with their families and yes. support their families. Yeah. Really, truly is amazing. Yeah. Our volunteers are awesome people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've met several volunteers and they (laughs) all are fantastic people. Um, we have, we've had several, um, CASA advocates come through our next step program. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been really fun to have them in class because they, they do kind of know what, what this is like, or they've gone through some of the training and and then, um, yeah, so it's really cool. Every person I've met through CASA has been phenomenal. So that's another piece I guess I should mention is that, um, Outside of the regular training that they receive to become a CASA, we also have a requirement that they do 12 hours of continuing education um, starting the year after they were certified. So every calendar year, they do have to get 12 hours of continuing education, which um, we provide through the office all kinds of opportunities for that. We um, have partnered with the CAC on a lot of things for for different training opportunities. Um, And like you said, the Next Step program, Mm -hmm. we have a lot of people who do that. Um, So they are really dedicated to continuing their education and learning anything they can to help their kids. Yeah. Yeah. So again, never alone. Right. And so many opportunities for education. Yes. Yeah. That is really fantastic. Well, we're kind of out of time today. Um, I would love to just keep talking and maybe keep hearing stories about, um, you know, the impact, I guess, that CASA has in the community, but it's probably pretty obvious for our listeners um, how amazing you guys are. So are there any last thoughts that you had about CASA or what it means in the community or any last call to action, if you could say anything to the community? I would just say, I guess I didn't share our program numbers. So right now we have 60 active CASA volunteers who are serving 90 children. Um, and we have about 20 volunteers who are inactive. So that's an option. Once a CASA finishes a case, they can be in active status while they're kind of recouping and waiting for the right time to accept their next case. So we're serving 90 children. Um, there are at any given time in Cedric County, 1200 children in out of home care. So we would really love to be able to serve more children. Um, so we need volunteers to do that. Yeah. 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 So um, if anyone is interested and would like more information, if they would be interested in talking to a CASA who's, who's currently serving um, or anyone in our, our office, then 
um, we would love to do that. So cool. very good. Well, um, for our listeners today in our show notes, I will make sure that we include um, Costa's contact information um, so that if you're interested in getting involved, um, you'll know right where to find it. So great. thank you for being here today, Kim. Thank you so much for having this me. This was really good. I, again, I just haven't, I've known a little bit about Casa, mm-hmm. but not very much. So I learned a lot today. Yeah. So thank awesome. you. Thank you. All right. For further information about ICT SOS, how you can help donate or become a monthly sponsor of Look for the Helpers, please visit our website, ictsos.org, where today's show notes will be posted. You can follow us on social media, ICT SOS. Thank you for listening. Wash your hands and stay safe.